Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com the nba finals are heating up looking for hot takes on all the postseason action the old man and the three presented by bmw is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage host and former nba sharpshooter jj reddick not only has a plugged in perspective on the action from his time in the league but he's also announcing the games in real time for espn J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Uh, I am Matt Harmon. In case you didn't catch the last episode of the show, we made an announcement about the future of the podcast, and that announcement was that I am going to be hosting this show uh, every episode, and we'll be moving to five episodes per week starting next week. And alongside me on this great journey that I'm very excited about, the more I think about it, the more excited I get about doing this, because um, I just love to work and I, I, you know, I don't really care for my personal life at all. Clearly, um, love the work <laughs> <laughs> alongside with me on this journey is going to be, of course, Scott Pinowski, Dalton Del Don. And today joining me is Mr. Andy Barons. Andy, we've got a freaking packed show today. There's a ton of news like it's it's just, we're we're back baby like football is back yeah we're back in the season where um we hear about every little every little tweak every everybody who, who yes. has to walk to the to the to the to the tent right like even under their own power or whatever like we have all these little moments of panic patrick mahomes went to the tent on monday yeah. and very briefly i was like oh man do i got that's so many guys i gotta re-rank if patrick mahomes is her and then he was fine right so like yeah. we have all these little fire drills where everybody's okay but we have actually had some um not so great uh medical news today on a tuesday so that's unfortunate yes it is unfortunate and we'll we'll get to that it's also the time of year andy i know you said this on a couple podcasts ago where you know we get every fantasy analyst like quote tweeting or you know sharing the video oh. of every player that they have loved all off season with the rocket ship emojis or the um or the you know i was told x player can't do this thing or whatever <laughs> um but that i i, and I hate that 
But what I hate even more, Andy, is the backlash from folks when, like, I shared Brandon Ayuk making that crazy catch, and he's had a couple of them because Brandon Ayuk is good at football. Uh, he had a couple of um, he had a couple great catches. I shared one. I was like, man, this guy's just like crazy talented. That's it. And you know, then I get people respond. Any NFL receiver can make that catch, and it's just like, for God's sakes, man! Like, let's have a little bit of fun, a little bit, a tiny bit, not too much, yeah, like, but a little bit. I think that's totally in a separate category from um, trying to reframe somebody as a, you know, like, trying to rewrite their value in fantasy off yes. of a clip in which there's no defender, right? Like, I'm we're up to like four clips now that have gone viral of Saquon Barkley with with not a defender <laughs> in the frame doing a really simple football thing and most of fantasy Twitter saying that, oh, he's about to take off, which fine. That'd be awesome if he took off. That would be great. That would be great. He was, his rookie season was spectacular. You're not showing me anything in these clips that make, make me think that Saquon Barkley is all of a sudden ready to, (laughs) you know, force a missed tackle, which he didn't do all last season. But like, if we just want to celebrate good football players being good at football, I'm all for it. All for it. All right. Now that these two old men are done yelling at the clouds, um, (laughs) we will move on to the rest of the show. Like I said, it's pretty packed today. We're going to be discussing bad teams with bad offensive ecosystems, potentially, and how to identify some fantasy gold on those teams if there is uh, a few in in these bad teams. We're also going to do a fantasy preview of one of those exact bad ecosystems, the Seattle Seahawks. And oh boy, that should be a real treat. But first, we do have a lot of news to get to. Starting off with a couple of like not on the field news. Um, Andy, Deshaun Watson, uh, the initial, and I want to talk about this not like too much. I don't want to sit here and be like, how much does this move Nick Chubb or Mari Cooper off your rankings or whatever? But I do want to talk about Deshaun Watson and Judge Sue Robinson um, ruling, giving her recommendation. I think that's an important word here. Recommendation that he be suspended for six games. We'll talk about all the fantasy impact of that when we do get to the Browns team preview next week. Because, Andy, the thing I want to hit on here is I do want to encourage everybody to actually read her um, report because I think it kind of unpacks more of this situation it's a reminder that this is a new process this uh this deshaun watson disciplinary thing is the first one under the new cba where the nflpa and the nfl jointly appointed sue robinson to kind of give a recommendation but the situation is not over because also collectively bargained in that was the nfl's right and the commissioner's right to come in and just actually do whatever they want like they they can add on to this suspension they're not going to go lower than this we know they wanted to give them a full year there's this there's still a chance that they could add on to it of course then there's the idea that watson then might take them to court so there's a lot going on here but um and, and, and that's kind of the main thing i think we should discuss is like that this is not totally over yet but we know at a minimum he's getting six yeah. Um, and I think, again, uh, as to the fantasy implications here, you you wrote this up really well as soon as it happened. Um, this is this is most of the fantasy. This is six weeks of the fantasy right. regular season is I mean, that's an eternity. That's forever. Like it is really difficult. Most of my most of my fantasy leagues, we got like four bench spots. We got five bench spots. I can't I can't park a quarterback there in like a one quarterback league. It's just not it's just not going to happen. And then. You know, on the one hand, you want to say, okay, when he when he returns, even if this is only six games, which seems like a like a disturbingly low number, given the given the nature of what I I think it's pretty clear he's responsible for here. um, And by the way, the judge agreed that he is he he was 
responsible. She said in his in the write up like this was egregious. It was predatory. I think she just leaned a lot on the precedent that the NFL has set with their own personal conduct policy. So, lot like I said, there's a lot to dive into, and we don't need to do it on this podcast. But yeah, it's like right. He he did he did it. <laughs> so yeah, not a lot of not a lot of open question. The the league pretty convincingly proved its case i think but i mean you you want to say okay well he's not going to be injured when he comes back so it's it's not like a it, this isn't like a situation where we have like a four to eight week timetable on an injury or something like that he, he'll presumably come back in six weeks and then then he's really back and he's at full strength but the problem is it's a new team it's a it's a new environment you know he he's he's worked with these guys, but he's barely worked with these guys. So is that the friendliest possible situation? No. Uh, and it, he's obviously going to draw all kinds of attention for non-football reasons. It's just going to be a difficult situation. I can't imagine for a variety of reasons, ending, ending up with him on any rosters. Yeah, there's no, there's no chance I'm at all interested in, in drafting Deshaun Watson. Um, to, because of, like you said, six games is a long time. You're burning a hole in your roster. Um, and if I could guarantee that he was going to be a QB one overall type guy, I don't, even then, I don't know that it's worth it. So, and I, you can't guarantee that. Yeah, I agree. There's really, I don't, I'm not inclined to like wait on almost any of these guys either. Like I'm not, I bumped Amari Cooper up a little bit, but like, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I, it's six weeks is a long time. Not in the NFL terms, like in the NFL terms, it's less than half the season. Like the Browns can still make a, make a big push with him on the roster, but for your fantasy team, which <laughs> who cares about your fantasy team in this instance, but um, for your fantasy team, it's a long, long time. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big one. We can move on uh, to another story. And the only reason I want to, I want to hit on this dolphin story. Um, if you, if you missed it, the NFL strips Miami of its 2023 first round pick, um, also a third round pick in 2024, and finds Stephen Ross 1.5 billion. He's suspended until October, not for the tanking allegations, but for finding credible evidence that he tampered with Tom Brady twice in 2019 and then last year, and Sean Payton also, who is of course not the head coach of the Saints, but is still under contract with the New Orleans Saints. So. The tampering allegations docks Miami those two picks, gets Stephen Ross in trouble. Did Andy? I, we'll, we'll react to this in a second, but I did um, get a laugh out of Stephen Ross's statement where he basically said, "Yes, uh, the NFL did not find any tampering evidence," which I've said all along. Brian Flores's allegations were defamatory, and yes, he proved it. They they found proof that that was BS. But I don't agree with, it, with this other part of the investigation, but I'll, I'll accept the punishment. So it's like all the stuff that's bad about me, fake news. All the stuff that's good for me, you should believe that. <laughs> that, is, that is almost exactly what he did. Um, that, is, that is very well put. Um, the NFL itself kind of threaded a needle with the comments about Coach yeah. Flores, right? And yeah. praised him for coming forward. It, it's, it's pretty difficult to... Uh, it's pretty difficult to frame this as as if Ross was just joking, just joking about like a hundred thousand dollars per game that you lose. <laughs> um, just kidding. <laughs> like, man, there's there's no way that was a joke. Um, yeah, it was a, a wild response, and I, Ross's response uh, w was a pretty clear statement of we're we're not even thinking about where our draft position is going to be this year. They're clearly all in on this season. Um, that that was very much the case. 
before this ruling came down, that was perfectly clear. They've given Tua everything he could possibly need this year um, and upgraded at all of the weak spots from uh, from last year, at least on on the offensive side. So super interesting team The you know, we're like we talk about this as if it just penalizes the Dolphins. But this is like I mean, there's a. There, there's a really good college football player right now who's not going to get a fifth year option and is not going to get That's like true. all the benefits that come with being a, a first round pick. So somebody somebody is getting penalized outside the Dolphins organization. It's not like this. It's not like this pick goes somewhere. This pick just goes yeah, it away. Just disappears. The Super Bowl champion will pick thirty first uh, this year. So that's interesting. But yeah, I didn't even thought about like the consequences for some yet to be named college player. Um, the, the the interesting part about this though, then that's the part I wanted to talk about was the fact that Miami does lose a first round pick. That is pretty big. They still have San Francisco's first round pick. So they still have one first round pick next year. But part of the reason I was so okay with them giving Tua like an un, they did bring Teddy Bridgewater in on a pretty decent contract, but he's basically got the full runway to, to go with it this year was that next year they have two first round picks. Like, if Tua stinks or is mediocre and they want to take that jump up, they've got two first round picks, potentially move up the draft or, you know, trade for disgruntled veteran, which is probably not a thing. But, you know, if they, if there was a Russell Wilson candidate out there, they'd have a decent uh, bounty there. And this, I think just adds that extra layer of pressure on Tua, which Tyree kill has shown no hesitation to add extra pressure on Tua. Like my guy, Tyree <laughs> kill has never heard of the phrase, under promise and over deliver or like confidence speaks louder, you know, the, the silence speak, whatever, you know, the phrase that I screwed up. <laughs> Great podcasting there. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like there's been a lot, I think there's a lot of pressure on Tua overall. And now like if he's not the guy at the end of this year, they're a little more strapped in terms of trying to find a replacement now. Yeah, you're right. Far less of a far less of a safety net. Um, much more difficult to without without the extra first round pick. Much more difficult to trade up in a in a pretty rich draft class. So that's a little bit of a concern. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about all the things that Tyreek has been saying as actually creating additional pressure for Tua. I mean, he's he's building him up. He's he's building him up in a weird way, comparing him favorably to Patrick Mahomes. Like I. I wouldn't say he's the most accurate quarterback in the league. I mean, it's one thing like it's uh, Mike McDaniel, the head coach, who, by the way, (laughs) Mike McDaniel, you got to love the fact that, yeah, we totally didn't want you. We actually wanted Sean Payton. Let's confirm all that and confirm all the weird Brady like (laughs) Brady rumors that, you know, that they wanted him as an executive slash player thing. Like we're cementing all that. But Mike McDaniel said like, oh, yeah, he's showing confidence in his guy. It's one thing to show confidence into it and like back your guy. It's another to go like. No, he's actually a top five quarterback. You dum-dums out there just don't know it, but you will soon as soon as he's paired with me because he's the most accurate quarterback in the league. Just a little unnecessary from Tyreek Hill. Yeah, that's why he was flagrantly outplayed by Ryan Fitzpatrick not that long ago. Um, not that long ago. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like I hope to is really good. I thought he was going to be really good coming out of college. Obviously, a few hiccups along the way. Terrible offensive line last year. They, It sure seems like they fixed that. I mean, he's... Uh, you, th- this is a no excuses kind of year because that team is absolutely loaded now. Yeah. And I feel like there's, there's part of me that just can't shake the image that it's actually going to be a nightmare, but that <laughs> that's kind of the dolphins way. Of course, uh, moving on, speaking of Mike McDaniel, his uh, former guy in San Francisco gets his contract extension, Debo Samuel, three years, 71.6 million, a um, lot of guaranteed money. Awesome. He gets what he wants. He actually has some, I, I thought this was interesting. He has, 
like incentives in his contract that if he gets rushing work, he gets like a few, what is it? Like a one point something million dollars or whatever. Um, there's, there's certain bon there's bonuses in there basically that if they use him as a running back, they got to pay him a little extra, which great for Debo. I think that's awesome. I think it leaves the door open that they, they could still use him a little bit in that role, which Andy, I know is not the best for like, you would rather just have him be a pure receiver from a fantasy perspective. I think, but I really do think I know I talked about Brandon Ayuk off the top. Like I'm inching Brandon Ayuk up and up my rankings, and I'm I'm wondering if that should cause me to bump Debo from like wide receiver eight to wide receiver ten or something. But I do think like listen, Debo's targets evaporated the when Ayuk actually got into the fold and Kittle was back healthy. That if he's if we're gonna still treat him as an elite fantasy asset, it might be good to have him have some of this rushing work. I don't know. What was your reaction to his economy? Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you highlighted that. That was uh, I thought the most interesting thing about it. And it's not, you know, it, within the scope of the contract, it doesn't seem like a huge amount of money. But like a million bucks is, I, I imagine, no matter how wealthy you are, that's not a trivial amount. I'd of money, like a right? million like bucks uh, for right. a little extra. G <laughs> yeah, right. Right. That's that's a little something. Um. So I I thought that was really encouraging because we obviously we want as many pass to fantasy relevance as possible. He was really good as a rusher last. I mean, he's just really good when he gets the ball in his hands. Right. So that's exciting. Also, um, you know, it's like, it's crazy to me that it was just a couple of years ago. It was like two, three years ago that almost every target Debo Samuel saw was at the line of scrimmage. Like, this like you'd look at the next gen stats on uh, like his average depth of target and you thought it couldn't possibly be right because it was like it was like two yards right like they never targeted him even even really in the short areas of the field right it was like these were like rondell moore targets um and all it took was just inch him a little bit downfield um just just get bump that up to like eight nine yards per target and he's a 1400 yard receiver so uh, I don't, I don't know that he necessarily repeats that 1400 yards, but it, man, if we can get him 60 carries a year, that's pretty awesome. And I'm, I, as you say, I'm glad he's getting paid for it. Yeah. I've said many times, um, that I wish I had just like taken all of the results, whether it was that average depth to target his reception perception from 2020 and just like thrown it into the trash and like ignored it. Cause he clearly wasn't <laughs> healthy. Um, and like just looked at him as a rookie. Uh, but yeah, so basically the, the uh, let me the actual details of, of this rushing bonus Debo is from Adam Schefter. Debo will receive uh, 650,000 per year for each year. He has 380 or more rushing yards. He'll also earn 150,000. If he scores three rushing touchdowns in any one year, he maxes out at 650,000 per year and 1.95 million over the life of his new contract with all of these rushing bonuses, if he hits them. So, I think that's good for Debo and I would still like to see him in this role. Cause I think it saves, I think it saves his fantasy ceiling and floor a little bit. Cause if you just look at the target numbers, when I, you got back, it was like, it was not good. So I think that, I think that does move the needle a little bit for me uh, personally. All right. We can move on here. Like we said, there's a couple of other, there's a couple of other non-fun things we get to talk about from camp, uh, mostly injuries. Uh, we'll start also uh, with James Washington out six to 10 weeks with a foot fracture. I mean, James Washington wasn't having a very good camp, to, by the way. There was some negative notes there. Uh, don't really was never going to draft James Washington. But does this move the needle for you at all with other guys like Jalen Tolbert, is he on your late round radar right now? Is CeeDee Lamb going to lead the NFL in targets? And also, is Zeke going to get like 400 hate touches out of this? And um, 
like fantasy Twitter is going to burn, but I mean, it, th- this looks like a, an offense that's going to have to run through Lamb, Dalton Schultz, and the running backs. Uh, so because their receiver depth is is hideous after CD Lamb, unless Jalen Tolbert is really, really good from the jump. Yeah, there is definitely a path here for CD Lamb to get 200 targets, right? Like that's that's entirely in play. If that leads the league or not, like that should lead the league. It usually leads the league. Definitely a path for it. And I think I feel like CeeDee Lamb is in that conversation. Um, just something I've I've talked about a couple times recently, maybe on the podcast. Um, I feel like the NFL's first 2000 yard receiver is definitely in the league right now. Um, and it's mm. either Justin Jefferson or maybe it's CeeDee Lamb because this this workload is going to be pretty high. Um, this workload is going to be really significant. And there's no like obviously if James Washington is the is the thing that causes the whole house of cards to crash like you were never really a contender. Right. Like, I don't know that it's right, a right. I don't know that it's a monumental injury. It stinks for Washington. Um, I, I think. Jalen Tolbert is a is an interesting piece. Got a little size, uh, hugely productive at a relatively small college over multiple seasons. So there could be something there. Zeke is Zeke is difficult for me because Zeke, you know, like I I want to give Zeke a lot of credit for playing through his knee situation last year. Like we've now found out that that was a partially torn PCL, and so we shouldn't. Like we, we do this in fantasy all the time. A guy will play through an injury. Um, we've seen this with with Beckham. We saw it with Antonio Gibson last year. We saw it with Zeke last year. And then we kind of rewrite it as if, OK, that's who that guy is now. You know, we, we saw a lack of explosion from Elliott last year. We have a perfectly reasonable explanation for it. And yet we still talk about him. And we again, we did this with Antonio Gibson, who played through a freaking broken leg. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> he wasn't as explosive last year. Well, no, no he wasn't as explosive. <laughs> broken leg, um, you know, torn knee ligament. Like maybe maybe it's OK to be hopeful about Zeke. They they certainly talk about him as if they're ready to to give him an enormous workload again. And I know like everybody always wants to see the backup who's who's really exciting and, and really productive on limited touches. And I think Pollard's a good player. Um, Zeke has Zeke has demonstrated that he can handle, you know, 320, 340 touches, at least in the past. And I I think that's definitely their intent to get him back there again. Um, so that that certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but like a lot of the yards per carry or explosive run metrics is the fact that like Zeke handles the grinder work and yeah, you know Tony yeah. Pollard gets like designed stretch runs, stuff like that. That really does matter. Um, and I I do think there's a chance that Pollard has some standalone value because they're gonna need somebody like to step up. Like and they they can design passing game touches to him. So I'm fine drafting either one of these Dallas backs this year. Um, and yeah, I agree with all of your thoughts about CeeDee Lamb 100%. Uh, we'll be interested to see if they bring in anybody like a Cole Beasley reunion. Seems like it's just uh, oh, a lock. Yeah. I will say, though, like CeeDee Lamb, just one last point on him. I agree. Like he has that type of potential in him. And I was going back for a few people this morning about – um well, now he's going to get all of the top coverage and double coverage. That stuff never moves the needle as much as we think, number one. And number two, like the way that they use C.D. Lamb as like a slot receiver at times, they move him around the formation. They don't just take him and stick him at X receiver. It's really hard to double cover those guys. I had an interview with Mike Evans about that, who plays like a lot of pure X receiver versus like what Cooper Cup does, stuff like that. So it's hard to, to dictate extra coverage to that guy. Like, I think he's just the runway is totally clear for CD Lamb to be a top five receiver. I going back and forth every single day since the Julio signing this, this James Washington thing about like, who's my wide receiver five? Is it 
Mike Evans or is it CD yeah. lamb? And I, I can't figure it out, but I've got them at five and six right now. Yeah, I like that. There's, you know, it's I, I don't think Yahoo is this way, but there are platforms where Mike Evans is just weirdly buried in the pre-draft ranks. Very I've drafted on a couple of them. So it's a gift. It's a total gift. Um, that that guy's that guy's in an easy double digit touchdowns. And obviously he's a thousand yards a year. He's probably well over that this season. Uh, he's he's wildly underrated at, at a handful of spots. 100%. All right. A couple other minor ones here we can be a little uh, quicker on. Uh, Sean McVay announced that Van Jefferson will undergo knee surgery this week and is uncertain for week one against the Bills. That's a sneaky big one, Andy, because their receiver depth after Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. I like Van Jefferson. The guys behind him are like Ben Skoranek, who's basically a blocker, and Tutu Atwell, who's I mean, I'm so I'm so glad you said Skoranek's name because I couldn't think of it in the moment. I was just thinking that Notre Dame kid who couldn't catch, <laughs> right? Like, like every big opportunity he had last year in key moments, no, he didn't pull it in. Yeah, Jordan Rodriguez from the Athletic pointed out that like when they have either him or Tutu Atwell out there on the field, if they have to do the, that in eleven personnel, it's like kind of a tell because Skoranek is a really good blocker, and I mean Tutu Atwell, as Evan Silva says, he's seen him blown away on the field uh because he's so small so it's kind of a tell and they don't like that they don't like they like to don't like to alternate guys they don't like to have a rotation but it sounds like that's what they're gonna do it's a it's just more to me it's more volume pumping to robinson and pumping to cooper cup two guys that i'm obviously very in on drafting yeah it seems like they should be in on um any available wide receiver too at this point because that is that is incredibly thin beyond jefferson and neither one of the guys that you mentioned is anything like van jefferson so there's yes. no immediate replacement for what he does and they can't they probably will bring beckham back at some point but he's not going to be available until like november yeah. so not really an option there um all right this is a, a tough one tim patrick this is kind of by the way we're recording this uh 12 p.m pacific on august 2nd like we don't know exactly this just happened but tim patrick was carted off the field at broncos camp after twisting his leg coming down from a crazy leaping catch robert mays tweeted out um he's getting an mri as tim patrick and the reason i think like we can at least in the moment act like this is probably pretty serious as Nathaniel Hackett said after practice that he's getting his knee evaluated as Tim Patrick and quote, it breaks your heart and Hackett stated multiple times to James Palmer from the NFL network that guys are going to have to rally and step up on this team. That sounds like they're bracing for bad news with Tim Patrick. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it, this checked every terrible box, right? Uh, yes. non-contact injury after he made the catch, uh, all, all of his teammates came over to him immediately afterwards. So like, you know, I mean, players have a sense for the, the severity of an injury when it happens. So this sounds really, he's a, he's a, he's a really good football player. Like I don't, I don't Agree, think yeah. Tim Patrick is like a 1400 yard receiver or something like that, but there's, there's a reason that he always makes it into the, into the waiver wire column. He just, you know, even on limited opportunities, he just has a way of, of like you give that guy five, six targets in a game. One of them is definitely a splash play, like a field flipping play or a long touchdown. That guy's that guy's been a playmaker. He's huge, right? He's got size, a little bit of separation ability. Like he's as a as a supporting receiver, he's he's pretty unfair. Um, and he was going to have a whole bunch of he was going to have a whole bunch of good moments this year. Like he had a whole bunch of good moments with like Drew Locke and Teddy. So yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was it was going to be it was going to be a party, and he was going to be a big part of that with uh, with russell wilson so that's that's hugely disappointing i hope it's not as severe as it seems but everybody obviously is bracing for pretty bad news there yeah and i think you know uh robert mays i saw talk, talk about this that he was 
he was anticipating with like some knowledge of, of the situation that Patrick might actually be moving into like that big slot receiver role with them, which, you know, this offense is typically wanted to have like some oomph at that position. Right. And, you know, Sutton's their pure X. I think Judy, I think it's actually good to get him out of the slot. I'd rather him be like an outside vertical flanker receiver, but the guys behind Tim Patrick's like KJ Hamler, another like speed receiver who's coming off an injury. sounds like he's making some progress, but like, again, you, you, that's we'll see with KJ Hamler. I like KJ Hamler, but like this sucks for Tim Patrick, but I will say this has been a really, really tough unit to like parse out targets for all these guys. Like, I think it's really tough to justify some of the aggressive ADPs on Jerry Judy, and Cortland Sutton at the same time when Tim Patrick is a guy that I want to be ahead of consensus on. And I still want to like draft Albert O because I I'm betting that he's the winner in this tight end little competition that they got there and they've got running backs. They want to throw the ball to. So like it sucks for Tim Patrick. I, I hate it because he was probably ticketed for a big role, but this could clear things up in terms of target distribution there. No fun. No fun. No fun at all. All right, last thing here, Vikings tight end Irv Smith underwent thumb surgery today. Kevin O'Connell expects him to be back for the start of the regular season. Were you drafting Irv Smith before this? Uh, any interest there? Uh, yeah, obviously Irv Smith is not, you know, he's not top 12 on my board or anything like that. Um, but, we, you know, we we play all these fun formats, especially throughout the summer, fishbowl, things like that, where you roster multiple tight ends, you get a really deep bench. I thought Irv Smith was a really fun flyer. I still think he's a pretty fun flyer, mostly because I'm I'm excited about what O'Connell's offense is going to look like and and what this whole situation is going to be. I mean, shoot, I, they they were, I mean, we've talked about other teams being plenty predictable. Like the Vikings were really predictable in recent years. You you knew if they had a fullback on the field, hundred percent chance they were going to run the football. Um, you know, like they they never veered off of you know what what you might think they would do from a certain look. They always did the thing. Um, ran a lot on for like hurried up to get themselves into into third and long situations a lot of the time and now we have uh, presumably a more modern offense um, more modern thinking or at least McVeighish thinking which is which is kind of yeah. fun and and a whole bunch of really fun skill players tied to it right like I, I think it's I think it's easily foreseeable that uh, that Kirk Cousins throws for I mean, we got we got a 17th game now. Kirk Cousins can throw for 5,000 yards this season. Yes. Um, Justin Jefferson can be that guy who cracks 2,000 yards. That guy's unstoppable. Um, Thielen is still going. And Irv Smith was going to be a big part of that, obviously. He's a great red zone weapon for that team. In in limited opportunities, he's been, you know, he's sucked up some, uh, some red zone targets. So... Uh, still optimistic, obviously, that he comes back in September. So that's that's a good thing. This isn't it, this isn't like a season crusher for him. So so at least that's good. Yeah, they're just going to need some guys beyond like Thielen and, and and Jefferson to step up, and and Irv Smith might end up being that guy. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on this one. Um, he's just been a kind of bad injury luck. Yeah, well, we have the promise of them actually putting a third wide receiver on the field now, right? Which is not a thing that they've ever done. <laughs> Yeah, that's a new one. So we'll see. I like I like KJ Osborne for that reason. They might actually be more yeah. of a modern offense. You know, they're not just like the boomer ball that they were under Mike Zimmer. Uh, all right, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some bad offensive ecosystems that we might still want to be investing in right after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, we're back. And first uh, up here on this like bad ecosystem talk. And honestly, Andy, like I feel like maybe we can we can. We, we cut this off as teams that are projected to win fewer than seven games. All to, all teams with win totals of six and a half or under. Um, and we're going to try to decide, like, hey, if these teams are going to stink, are there still players that we want to um, jump in on? it? And honestly, for some of these teams, it might just be one. Uh, first one up here is the Atlanta Falcons. Four and a half projected win total for the Atlanta Falcons. Sounds about right. This is a pretty brutal roster, uh, pretty brutal defense uh the offense obviously has some guys though that we're interested in Dalton and I are going to dig deeper into the Falcons on Thursday the one question I have for you like what are you doing with Cordero Patterson this year because Patterson's a guy when you do projections like actually comes out looking pretty good but I don't know if that's just because they don't really have a proven number two like a proven grinder back when and when they didn't have that guy last year when Mike Davis was stinking it up Patterson came out pretty good in fantasy what are, what are you doing with Patterson this year yeah, he's a I mean, I, I want to say that he's a real problem, but that, uh, you know, I, I don't know that he's a real problem because I, I don't think we can expect what happened last year to repeat. Um, it, it's awesome that it happened. Like that was an incredible story. Guy on the guy on the the other side of 30 uh, who's been a, a wonderful kick returner over the course of his career, who becomes like by the end of the season, basically a full time running back like they would not even a hybrid role, just a running back. And was great at it was one of the waiver ads of the year, uh, right up until he, he was limited by, I think it was an ankle injury toward the end of the season. Just a wonderful story. I, I, w- I will say the, the player that I've, pre- this is the, this is wrong. Like obviously the two best skill players on this team, I, I think pretty clearly are, are going to be, uh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts. And those are the guys that I should be in on, but the Atlanta player that I have the most shares of to date. And it's not even close. It's Tyler Algier. Uh, you, you get him late, right? Like he's a, he's a bit of a flyer. He's the guy behind Cordero Patterson, which I just, again, it's, it's hard to imagine that being sustainable. Um, and uh, he's coming off a great, like not necessarily the flashiest runner or anything like that, but, uh, proven uh that he can handle a huge workload did it at byu did it behind a great offensive line at byu against often inferior competition so it's not like there aren't any open questions about him um but a couple of hugely productive college seasons um i think there's a lot of promise there and there's not that much behind cordero patterson and again patterson merely a converted kick returner like if you can't I don't know if you can't carve out a role with that guy, um, then it's probably never going to happen. And maybe I can cut him loose. Maybe he's a guy that I cut loose in October, but I'm, I'm pretty interested in, in Algier. Yeah. It's like Algier and Damian Williams behind, um, behind old Cordero Patterson. So I agree with your call out there and I'm fine with, I mean, Kyle Pitts, um, obviously I'm in on taking him where he goes, Drake London, I'm in on taking him where he goes. There have been a couple of like training camp clips of, uh, Drake London, making some awesome catches which is great like getting open and then getting thrown into contested situations which he's totally used to which does beg the question like who's throwing that ball <laughs> what is it marcus Mariota, <laughs> or desmond ritter throwing him in these contested situations so uh i feel like the falcons are actually are pretty straightforward which is good because we can bleed into these next two teams which neither one of us wants to talk about but panthers here at six and a half wins andy Mike, we t- Scott and I talked about the Panthers on the last episode, so 
Oh God, that was a miserable conversation because I hate the Panthers. But um, <laughs> DJ Moore, where are you at on DJ Moore this year? Because I have really been wanting to bet on A, the talent, B, the like touchdown positive regression that we know has to come at some point. The real lack of like other playmakers around him in this offense, even if Robbie Anderson actually kind of has a bounce back year. Where I've I have DJ Moore ranked kind of aggressively. Where are you at with DJ Moore on this six and a half projected win Panthers team? Yeah, he he's such a good player, such a fun player. Um, and he like the quarterback situations for DJ Moore go back to college too. I I think his final year at Maryland, he played with like he might have played with like four different quarterbacks in the same season, yeah. and each one was worse than the last. And and he awesome. still had this marvelous season. Um, statistically, like. Someday, I don't, I don't, I don't know that Baker Mayfield is that guy, but like, I feel like Baker Mayfield is a perfectly average, uh, even if he's a little bit below average as an NFL starter, like that, that's better than what we've seen DJ Moore tied to for for the past couple of years. So that's great. I'll take it. I think he can be a fringy wide receiver. One I haven't landed a lot of him, but that's not. It's not like I have an aversion to him. I think. I think the important thing here, you know, with a lot of these, a lot of these teams where we're talking about bad ecosystems, I think my general advice would be, it's okay to let yourself have one of those guys on that roster, but you don't want to tie yourself to two. This this team might be the one exception where I just think that all of the numbers could go to DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, and I'd probably be fine having both of them on the same team. And I would I wouldn't say that uh, about any of the other teams that we're going to get to here. Yeah, I'm not like jacked up about obviously Terrace Marshall, who was awful last year right. on, a, on an individual basis. And, you know, t even tight end, like, is it going to be Tommy Tremble or Ian Thomas? Like, I don't really care probably one way or another. So, yeah, I agree with you. Like, those are the two guys, like, set it and forget it. Go with that. All right, next team. I promised Andy because he just <laughs> talked about the Bears on a recent episode and because the Bears are the Bears. We would only talk about them for 90 seconds. So, listeners, you can tr you can – Test me on this. I'm starting my clock right now. We're talking about the Chicago Bears for the next 90 seconds. Six and a half wins projected for the Chicago Bears. I want to start the conversation with Darnell Mooney, actually, because I think Darnell Mooney's a really good player. And I have trouble, honestly, with where to slot him in my tiers, Andy, because, like, I end up with him at wide receiver 26. He's just always around guys like, the second year receivers who I really want to draft, like I'm on Ross St. Brown, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, you know, Gabe Davis kind of in the same group there. Juju, who I want to actually pick your brain on as well before we uh, close out the show. Cause you had a great piece on him. Darnell Mooney. Where are you at with Mooney? Cause he's the one guy. I think if you're drafting somebody from this team, he would be the one guy. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the right name to hit the, my first thought on this team is like, Oh my God, how, how are we getting six and a half wins out of this team? That's just not going to happen. Question. I'm going to, I'm going to pound the under there. I just absolutely don't see it. Um, I, I don't have a lot of Mooney and it's not like I totally get the case for Mooney 140 targets last year. He went over a thousand receiving yards on that team, which is, which is no small feat. So impressive player i would take juju all day ahead of him because that's just that's a team that's going to average yep. like 32 a game right like they're they're going to give you 400 total yards and like 30 plus points per game every week i'm fairly confident in that so i again i don't get him because i'm also the person who's always taking a flyer on rashad bateman juju smith schuster it gets it gets thorny for me when we get down to and like, stop and stop <laughs> nope, we're, at, we're 90 seconds we're 90 seconds stop. when we get down to alan lazard no it gets a little thorny for me because there's there's a case where i really believe in mooney's talent but the other team obviously has a better system 
he went over 90 seconds, my everybody, bad. not me. I just want to, I, <laughs> for the record, he went over 90 seconds. But yeah, give me Mooney over Alan Lazard. No question there all day, all day long. Uh, anyways. All right. Staying in the NFC North, the Detroit Lions, six and a half wins. Now, this is a team I'm like, man, I look at the Lions the right way. Uh, you know, after maybe a couple beers or something, I'm like, you look pretty good. You look... <laughs> So there's a lot there's this I actually I would take the over on six and a half wins, which oh my god, how am I saying that about the Lions? And there's like multiple players I want to draft on this team. I want to draft Amon Ross St. Brown where he goes. I want to be over ahead of consensus. The dorks that are too low on him because he's not gonna do what he did last year. Duh. That's why he's not going in the first two rounds. And I want to draft DeAndre Swift in the second round. So, and even TJ Hawkinson, I know you're, you know, an Iowa honk. Like you'll tell me all about TJ Hawkinson. So there's a, there's a lot of good, I think, going on for the Lions right now. I, I think they're the, maybe the potentially best ecosystem on, on this group, which is disgusting to say. Yeah, no, I think far and away they are. And we haven't, like, we haven't even experienced the hard knocks bump yet, right? Like there, there's definitely going to be a lot of action on this team going out like they're going to be a fun team on hard knocks that coach is really fun uh jamal williams is really fun like there's a bunch of personality on this team too so they're they should be a pretty great watch um amon ross st brown i think is the most interesting name to talk about here because i i just think it you know obviously when he was uh, an unfair weapon in the fantasy playoffs last year they were doing really fun things with him it wasn't he wasn't just like a volume slot guy. Like they, they, they didn't put him in the backfield a lot, but they did it. They lined him up in some really interesting spots and they gave him opportunities to make plays from, from areas of the field that it, it just hadn't happened earlier in the year. So we saw a real progression with his usage. And I just don't know how you can shelve that because um, it worked and it worked spectacularly. And, and I, I just can't imagine them setting that aside. I mean, I think there's there's still plenty of room for 90 targets for Hawkinson. Uh, but I, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is is basically here to stay. The other thing we have to mention with Swift, I don't maybe it's an open question as to exactly how good Swift is as a runner. But they they clearly intended to feed that guy 90 catches last year. Like he was on that pace and to, prior to the injury. And it was that week 12, something like that. Like he was we went deep into the season and. DeAndre Swift was still on pace for like 85 to 95 catches. So someday he's going to have a perfectly healthy season. And that's the kind of number that you're going to be looking at. Yeah, it is interesting because we also have to consider with both Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown, I think this gets lost in the big discussion about especially St. Brown is that we had a play caller shift in the Mm, middle of the season. And after that play caller shift happened, that when that's when we started to see the routes run boost, the targets boost for Amon Ross St. Brown. It's also when we kind of started to see the swift catches disappear, but I think that's more so due to the injury, which also coincided around that same time. So I'm willing to kind of ignore that part. But with St. Brown, yeah, look, I've said this a lot on on this show and other shows all off season, but if you're new, I'm in on Amon Ross St. Brown. I want to bet on the Bud Light Cooper Cup archetype because, like you said, that's exactly what he was yeah. in the year. He wasn't just some like some little volume guy. They were designing ways to get the ball in his hand. Get your eyes off the box score and actually watch the freaking <laughs> games, and you can see the way that they had designed touches for him. And look, he's not. Everybody knows he's not going to get the target totals. He's not going to average average 11 targets per game like he did over the last four weeks. Andy's not asking you to believe that. I'm not asking you to believe that. Consensus rankings and ADP is not asking you to believe that. So I like, I know he goes around like wide receiver 30-ish. 
I've got him at like 25-ish. I, I want to be like, if you're using my rankings, I want you to draft this guy. He's the one I feel really bullish about, and I'm totally in on Swift as well. Yeah, I always start thinking about St. Brown like in that clump with Bateman and Mooney and and Gabe Davis, and I'm I'm always surprised that he, I, I never see him go there. Yeah, I agree. He's he's right right with those guys. Actually, he's behind Mooney and ahead of those other two second-year guys just because I think the volume projection is really good for him. All right, the Texans, Dalton Dildon's Houston Texans, four-and-a-half <laughs> win total for them. Uh, <laughs> I think we actually know – I mean, look, the one guy, if you're drafting somebody from this team, is definitely Brandon Cooks. But I want to talk about Nico Collins and Marlon Mack. Like is Marlon Mack the feature back for this team? What are we what are we doing here? And I I'm a big big Nico Collins fan. Like I want to take him in every single late round because I think he has an underrated skill set and target projection this year. Yeah, that that's interesting that you threw out Nico Collins. Um, I I used to draft the heck out of him in like college fantasy football, and it was always kind of unfulfilling. I play this is a terrible league that I don't recommend to anybody, but I, I play in a, <laughs> a, a, like a Big Ten only college fantasy league, and I was always so excited about Nico Collins. Um, and he was a little bit undone by quarterback play at Michigan. Anyway, um, I've always I've always liked him. He's got size. Uh, I I think Davis Mills is a good enough quarterback to support two viable fantasy receivers. Right, that's not too much to ask. I think Collins can be that guy. Obviously, more of a deep league play, but I'm 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 interested in him as a developmental prospect. And not very many people team me up to talk about Nico Collins, which is really interesting. I don't feel like there's a lot of competition for him out there. Um, it's basically no. just you and me. I don't I don't hear anybody else talking about Nico Collins, but like he's got a set of attributes that should play in the NFL. I, I think he has a real chance to be a good player. Don't know what to do about the backfield at all. I'm not yeah. really buying the Pierce stuff, the Damian Pierce stuff, right? Yeah. Like he was a, he's a part-time player at Florida um, all four years. Uh, there's there's just not a lot of, there's, I don't know, there, there's nothing there's nothing in the stats that jump out to you. There's not really a ton. I, I thought when, you know, again, I don't watch everybody's game. I don't watch every game from a prospect coming into the NFL draft, but there wasn't anything that necessarily leaped out to me about Pierce there. So I think we have a real chance of Marlon Mack being like a, like a, 15 to 18 touch a game guy, at least for the first couple months of the season. It's hard for that not to have value. It's not going to win your league. It's I'm not I'm, I'm certainly not going to uh, promise uh, almost anything of note from Marlon Mack. But at that kind of workload, I think he's a moderately interesting player. Again, has to be a deep league. Uh, the, the only guy who's really of interest to me here is is Brandon Cooks, obviously. You have Brandon Cooks ranked above all those other guys we talked about, like Mooney and the second year receivers and Gabe Davis and all that. I mean, yeah, he's he's he was really impressive last year in what I thought was a pretty terrible environment. Um, there's obviously an opportunity for him to get like 150 targets. Why wouldn't he get 150 targets? Um, he's a good player. Yeah, they're bringing in um, like Chester Rogers for a visit there. Um <laughs> Because, because John, I mean, unfortunately, John Mechie uh, is going to miss yeah. the entire season with leukemia, and that's it stinks. It, similar with like the Tim Patrick thing, it's an unfortunate thing that happens that probably concentrates the targets there between Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks. Uh, because like that's it. I mean, on this depth chart, like there's not a lot else. And um, I will just say, like all this running back talk, like Rex Burkhead is still on this roster. I bet Rex Burkhead right. has like some sort of like 500, 500 rushing yards, five hundred receiving yard rule that um, like screws all the other guys around him. So <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there. Jaguars six and a half wins. I have like the Jaguars projected to run a ton of plays and throw the ball a ton because of Doug Peterson's history as a play caller. 
I love Christian Kirk. I love drafting Christian Kirk. Um, but I haven't I haven't talked about this yet with anyone and just working this out. Like the backfield split, now that it sounds like James Robinson's gonna be I don't know how effective he's gonna be, but it sounds like he's gonna be involved earlier than I expected. Um, where are you at with those two guys? Yeah, I haven't moved James Robinson in the ranks yet. I'm still I'm still a huge skeptic. It's a, uh, and I listen, I love Robinson's story. Uh, his, his first season was incredible. I think he's, uh, you know, obviously he was one of many players who got hosed last year under a uh, coaching staff that never should have been invited to the NFL. Um, but, but this is a, this is not the recovery timeline um, that, that, no. that we should anticipate from that injury. And I wouldn't, even if he's, even if he's playing in September, um, I, I just would not expect the normal level of explosiveness from Robinson. Um, I, I would expect a return to play that that looks maybe a little bit like Cam Akers if it happens. And Cam Akers yeah. was just Cam Akers had nothing in the playoffs. Um, like I, all all the credit to him for coming back and for wanting to be a part of that, but. He, he was among the least explosive backs in the in the league last year when he when he returned. And I just I don't think I would expect much more than that from Robinson. I, I think it would. I mean, I, I don't really know. Like, I don't have access to 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 know exactly what what state of uh, recovery Robinson is in right now. But I just I can't imagine I can't imagine wasting a bunch of touches on wasting a bunch of touches, but giving him a bunch of touches early in the season, which which can only lead to, to further wear and tear and keep him further away from getting back to like full strength and full functionality. Cause I think, I think when we have a pairing of ETN and Robinson and they're both like fully healthy and operational, like that's a, that's a really Good. fun tandem. Yeah. They complement each other really well. Like let's see more of that. Um, I would just want to get Robinson back to full health before I roll him out there if I were the Jags. So maybe they won't, Maybe maybe they're anxious to get him back out on the field, but I haven't moved him in the ranks yet because I'm still I'm still so skeptical about the injury. I'm excited about ETN though. I think there's a path there to uh, 70, 75 receptions. Yep, I'm I'm really excited about him. I've been you know kind of in that quote running back dead zone area. You know uh, the Brees Hall. We talked, we buried Josh Jacobs uh, last episode, Scott and I did. Uh, but like, you know, Elijah Mitchell, it's like in that group, I like drafting Mitchell and I like drafting ETN um, because of the reasons you mentioned. I agree. Like, save James Robinson for, you know, freaking like November and December when you want to be a bit more yeah. of a grinder team, you'd think. But I, I bumped him up in the rankings only because I had him totally, totally buried. But now I've, you got to think you got to have him kind of in like a somewhat draftable range, but um, not, not too excited. I, this this team's passing game is super interesting to me too because I, I I don't know that I've had this conversation with you but I can't I can't recall a, a team in um I you know the thousand years that I have been watching football I can't recall a team that seemed like it had more route combinations designed to get two guys in the same spot at the same time as the 2021 Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Like even the, even the I highlights. Think you need to, I think you need to watch more of Greg Roman's office in that, <laughs> maybe, in that case, because maybe that's right. The, the, the Baltimore Ravens have freaking down to a science, how to get two guys running routes in the same area. It's, unbelievable but i but i do agree with you i mean there was a couple of like there's there's some highlight moments like you said of like laquan treadwell who by the way is still like he's probably gonna be like have a role on this team by the way uh because he's got a lot of connection with trevor lawrence laquan treadwell and lavisca chanel just slamming into each other there was yeah happens all the time like you'll see one jaguars receiver just just running up the heels of of another guy even like even on plays that work 
you can you can see that something bad could have possibly happened. So um, I, I I definitely think it's one of those rookie seasons that we could just throw out for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, um, agree. And he's got an adult coaching staff now, and and everything is going to be different. All right, let's move on to the Jets. Last team here before we go to the Seahawks. What a treat! Um, uh, the the Jets five and a half wins. I feel like I kind of like the over on that. I, I I can definitely squint at the Jets and see a really good offense. The trouble with the Jets offense is that it's for us thinking it might be a bad ecosystem. Like as long as Zach Wilson is average, this should be actually a pretty good ecosystem because they've got so many good players. They've got Elijah Moore, who I absolutely love as a talent. Garrett Wilson, they draft 10th overall. They've got, uh, you know, Corey Davis is, I think, a jag, but um, a competent number three receiver. They've got Braxton Berrios. You know, I've said this a hundred times, but him and Zach Wilson, like wearing each other's names on, on each other's shirts. Like he's definitely going to get 500 <laughs> yards and be a pain in the ass to all of these guys in fantasy. They remade the tight end room. There's another guy, uh, CG Uzoma is wearing Zach Wilson's face on his shirt. <laughs> Brees Hall, they drafted. So they got, got a lot of players here. They add to the off juice to the offensive line too. Like, Andy, if Zach Wilson, like I said, we just need him to be average for this to be a good ecosystem. But then how do we parse out the targets between a lot of quality players? First of all, I, I love the idea that there's like one of those little heart shaped medallions and Braxton Berrios is wearing half of it. And Zach Wilson is wearing half of it. And he's doing the same thing with uh, with CJ. Absolutely. They they absolutely are. Um, I don't know. I, somebody should ask Braxton how he feels about cj uzoma trying to come in <laughs> for his guy in the shirt wearing competition i i will say that elijah moore is one of those guys who is generating a daily camp highlight and um i am i i, I will say i'm swayed by them because they are all incredible catches right you want to put the rocket you want to put the rocket i gotta do i kind of the those. eyeball emo emo emoji man almost thing. almost like i don't know 15 minutes before we started recording this podcast there was an elijah moore uh you know viral camp clip in which he's he's reaching back behind him to snag a one-handed oh, like that yeah. guy's really good that guy stupid good that guy is excellent <laughs> um and could have a monster season with with just even with subpar quarterback play and i don't know that we're going to get subpar quarterback play like i zach wilson is a is a tricky he's, he's kind of a tricky read for me because you can definitely Great. see the traits that caused an nfl team to draft him really high right like he has a huge like he made some throws that that were just absolute darts off of not necessarily an ideal throwing platform that he he's just he gets a lot on throws um he's got a huge arm got some mobility i totally get it and usually in a in a player's rookie season at quarterback i'm willing to forgive just a lot of mistakes and we can throw that out and you just want to see you just want to see like high level nfl traits and he's got some of those like zach wilson could be a thing so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just assume that this team is going to be some super uninteresting offense. Like he could make a leap and this could all really hum and it could be great. I think you're right to to describe uh, Corey Davis as basically just a guy, but at least here he's not miscast, right? Like he's, he should yeah. be behind more in this pecking order, which is fine. More, more looks like a star. Um, and star. I, again, yeah, I the, the camp highlights make him look like a star, like his best moments are incredible moments. So I'm really interested in him. Obviously we're, you know, 
Brees Hall was a phenomenal college player who basically tested as a superhero in, in terms of combine measurements, right? So like, that's a really interesting player too, who's going to fall into, I don't know, two thirds of the backfield touches a lot, maybe more. Um, I think he has a chance to be great. So just, just competent quarterback play gets this team past five and a half wins. I have no idea why this team's win total is a, a full win less than the bears. I don't get it. Yeah. I, I don't get it either. Um, I mean, I said this on draft night and bears fans, your, 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 your folks are a feisty bunch. There's, I think I said this to you in person when we said like, they're, they're very, very sensitive right now. Cause everybody is making fun of them. Like there's always one sensitive group of fans because of that. And I wasn't even making fun of them. I was just saying like, wow, the way that the bears have to go about things right now, you know, putting guys around Justin Fields, it's like a half to thing because they're, they're just their books are fried the way they're putting things around Zach Wilson and, and, and Burgers, Justin Fields. It's like, it, this, it couldn't be any more different. So you I agree with you. On, do you remember on the that. pro bowl skills competition where Mitch Trubisky was terrible. Right. And it was I will hilarious. Never forget. I will never and we forget all had that. jokes. I'm pretty about sure it. we like live tweeted and, and, and like <laughs> we're, we were together in Tampa for that. I, will I, be, I believe that's right. And man, did, did bears fans rally to his defense. <laughs> Just like, I mean, like, come on, let us have fun with an NFL quarterback being objectively just terrible at, at skills competition. But they couldn't. They absolutely couldn't. Oh, damn it. Now we ended up going in total. We've gone like oh, I'm way over time on the Bears on, so the, on the Bears. Yeah, we doubled back. And you're the one that said you couldn't <laughs> talk about the Bears again. Hey, Seattle's won the toss. We want to so, ball. We're going to score. <laughs> All right. Let's let's waste no more time and move on to the most exciting part. The final thing here, we're going to talk Seahawks. They also fit into this group because they're projected for six and a half wins, which is a really tough number. Like, but this is a tough team to to project because God, I mean, Andy, walking into the 2022 NFL season with Geno Smith and Drew Locke, it's that's just not a serious quarterback battle. Like, I was actually just on the football outsiders uh, live stream. And I think it was Mike Tanier compared it to when Washington under Mike Shanahan went into a season with Rex Grossman and John Beck as their, <laughs> that was their quarterback competition. And it was a great comparison. I had blocked it from my mind for obvious reasons. I actually, you know, at that time was living in Fairfax, Virginia, shout out, uh, which is right near DC. So it, it was right in my mind. I witnessed the quarterback competition up close. It's like a a former first round flameout, another Bears guy, and Rex Grossman. Like, a, and Geno Smith wasn't a first round pick, but he was a second round pick of the Jets, a flameout there. And then, like a young John Beck, actually wasn't young because he was an older prospect coming yeah. in, but like a quote young prospect that absolutely nobody except the team that he's on <laughs> believes that he's going to be good. Like that's the battle that the Seahawks are having right now with these two guys. So, what the f do we do with this team in fantasy because of that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just in a super flex draft last night and I, I ran away from this situation. I almost always run away from this situation. It was it was outrageous how cheap the uh, the Seahawks receivers were too. like in this thing. This was a, a pretty standard like, you know, $200 budget for, for player acquisition. And like DK Metcalf went for $18 and Tyler Lockett went for like $8, $7, aye, aye, something aye. like that. But it's just really... You know, um, if you're if you're imagining Geno Smith is going to be the quarterback of this team, um, his three starts last year, he was attempting 26 passes per game. He averaged less than 200 passing yards per game. Um, nothing exciting about it. Like he was fine as a backup quarterback, but 
you, you can't have that level of play from a starting quarterback in the NFL, but this team played slow. They were, they were dead last and they were last by a lot in, in terms of plays per game, like 56 plays per game, which is well off, you know, the team that ranked 31st, they were just bottom of the league and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, 28th in completions, uh, 24th in passing yards per game. It's just not 30th in first downs per game. Like there's just not, there's not a lot of hope here. There's no reason to think that, that, uh, they can achieve even that level play necessarily. If it's Drew Locke or Geno Smith for an entire season, like I feel like you can just have, but like Gino would maybe be a little bit cleaner and you're just going to have a bunch of drives that ends in, that end in punts. Drew Locke is going to have some spectacular giveaways and maybe it's going to be a little bit more of a fun watch for the rest of us who aren't, who don't have like a, a serious rooting interest in the Seahawks winning, but either way, it's going to be, this is going to be a mess if it's really these two. Yeah, I think Drew Locke is 0% fun to watch personally, but um, <laughs> that's just that's just me. It's really tough to and and I've said all along, you know, that I think the gap between DK Metcalf and Tyrell Lockett's ADP is way too big. But at the same time, I'm adjusting my rankings yesterday and I'm like, well, I want to bump Brandon Ayuk up. Bump him up over Tyrell Lockett. Like sure. and I, I you know, even Christian Kirk, like I've got Lock it at the bottom of tier five and Kirk at the top of tier six. But I don't know. I mean, it just lock. It's so good. He's like just as good as DK Metcalf, I think, in my opinion. And he's the best deep ball tracker in the NFL. And shoot, he's going to need it this year, right? With with Drew Locke potentially rifling inaccurate missiles downfield. <laughs> but I, I don't know that I'm ever going to I don't know that I'm ever realistically going to sit in a draft. Maybe Tyler Lockett in like, I mean, in the Scott Fishbowl, he was like going in the 12th round of, of my draft. I could see myself clicking on Tyler Lockett there, but there's not many situations where even if I've got Metcalf still ranked as a top 24 receiver, I'd rather just wait for the next group of guys, the Jujus that we talked about, the yeah. St. Browns, the Batemans, the Moors. They're going to go later, but I'd just rather take the plunge there. I'm I'm glad you mentioned Tyler Lockett as as one of the NFL's best deep ball receivers, and I I feel like people don't necessarily think of these two that way. Um, Tyler Lockett was like fifth in the league in air yards per target last year. I mean they they it's not like they used him incorrectly either. He's he's great at it. Um, he, his average target was almost 15 yards downfield. He's absolutely stellar at it. But I don't know how much of that is going to be there with Geno Smith. I'm sure Drew. I mean Drew Lock will be looking for that every chance he gets, but. He's he's just a, a scattershot passer who loves to give the ball away too. So there's just not a lot of hope there. And I don't I don't I don't know how much better it could possibly get with Jimmy Garoppolo arriving late. And I, I don't really yeah. I don't really see it as terribly realistic that the Niners are gonna create a path for Garoppolo to go help the Seahawks win games either. I agree with you. I mean, I think they are going to end up having to cut Jimmy. I mean, he's like running sprints on the side of practices <laughs> right now. And like some fans are like, hey, Jimmy is a, I mean, they got to get him out of there ASAP. Yeah. But who knows? I, I agree. They're not going to trade him to, to Seattle, but he might no end way. up there via release. But how much how much of a jump is that bit that late in the game? I mean, like we're saying this is an unserious quarterback situation. I guess that Jimmy would make it better. Um, however, the one good thing also about these guys, Lockett and, and Metcalf, is that like there is no third receiver of even sort of interest there. Right. Um, but there is Noah Fant. Don't care. Probably never drafted Noah Fant uh, as tight end. The running backs. Last thing here before we get out of here. 
Ken Walker or Rashad Penny, where do you fall on that debate that nobody cares about? And is there either one of these guys like a potential league winner with Chris Carson officially retired uh, now? Well, I mean, I, I, my knee-jerk response to that is no, except that Rashad Penny literally was a league winner last year, right? And ended up being right. the most important ad in fantasy late in the season. 671 rushing yards in his final five games, right? So like six touchdowns um, and over seven yards per carry. He was great. He's never, he's never had a binge like that at any point in, in his NFL career. It certainly came at the right time and it got him another season in Seattle. Um, can he, there's, there's nothing in his pro career that makes you think that he can sustain that over a full season. But he, he also like, he doesn't have like, like some lingering injury that we should be worried about right. coming into this year is the other thing. Like, yeah, we, we think of Rashad Penny as an injury prone player, but there's, but you also can't point to something that is going to be his downfall. And he was great at the end of last year. So I've got him higher than Walker. Walker was, was a, was a wonderful college running back single-handedly yeah. beat Michigan in a super impressive, like just a really, really impressive performance as impressive an individual performance as you can really find from anybody who was in that running back class. Um, I think he's a very good player. We, we need to look at both of these guys as not necessarily being particularly interesting in uh, any sort of PPR format. Like I think the number last year for Penny, Chris Carson and Alex Collins combined was like 24 targets. Like they're not throwing to either yep. one of these guys. If, if they want to, you know, if they want to throw to the ball, it's going to be to like DJ Dallas. It's not going to, they don't get any, like any target that yeah, goes Michael, to Michael, Michael, Sean Dugar from the athletic, the Seahawks writer has said like Travis Homer is going to be the third down back. Like, yeah. So get used to that. Like get that, get that in your head that neither one of these guys is catching the ball. Yeah. Any target to one of those players is just purely by accident or uh, out of, you know, absolute emergency. It's not, it's not part of the design at all. So that's a, that's a huge blow to these guys too yeah it stinks i mean i i'm i've got these guys like in a range where you're not drafting starting running backs but you're taking like pure upside bets and i mean you could maybe get away with one of these guys as an rb3 in like a bi-week emergency type of situation but the real upside is again unfortunately like if one of these guys gets hurt then like Rashad Penny's probably a smash if Walker's hurt or Walker yeah. would be a smash. And I'm saying smash on like, again, I think this might be legitimately be the worst offense in the NFL because of the non-series quarterback situation. So, and an offensive line that's breaking in new starters. They've invested in it. Finally, they kick Russ's ass out the door and then they're like, now let's draft offensive <laughs> linemen. But <laughs> I think Russ is probably fine with how things turned out. But yeah, Whew, that was a lot of bad. Um, there was a lot of bad juju there to end uh, end the podcast. There's a lot of bad teams, teams backed into one. A lot of bad teams, bro. Yeah, a lot of bad teams. And I said I want to speak of juju. I wanted to ask you about your juju article that I just read uh, today, but uh, we'll save that for another time because this is the, probably the first time in my life I really, really, really gassed up to draft juju at his ADP. Um, but I guess we'll have to save that for another time because we ran kind of long here. Uh, which, by the way, if you're wondering what's going to be the theme of the podcast now that I'm taking over as host. We're going to run long, baby. Like that's that's <laughs> going to happen. But all right, that's that is going to do it for us. Andy, um, you make sure you follow him on Twitter at Andy Barons. You follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And of course, while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. If you're new to the show, please subscribe. You know, wait, wait till I iron out all the kinks to leave any reviews, but definitely subscribe, though. <laughs> definitely subscribe and support the show. Um, I'm really excited about this season. Uh, I'm going to be back on Thursday with Dalton Del Don to go deeper on another bad team, the Atlanta Falcons. But I'm sure we'll have some more fun things to talk about other than that. At least, God, I hope so. Until then, we're out.